This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The time I ran into Gilbert Godfrey at Disneyland, I told him he was awesome in Double Dragon. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, my hand span is 11 inches. Any bigger, it would just be a foot. (laughs) Man, when you started talking about hand, I thought that you were going to make like even potentially a magic pun, like a hand of cards Mm. or something like that. But you just went for a regular dad joke. Once you evolve to the level of magic dad jokes, then you will have gotten to real Nirvana brain right there. I'm working on it. Stay working on it. Stay it. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I'm doing the math right now, Joey, and the amount of miles I drove last week, I actually could have made it to Seattle. (laughs) I'm sorry that you weren't able to make it to the Command Fest in Seattle, but we are very happy that you were able to go to the Command Fest in Chicago. But we'll get to that in a second. I'm going to introduce myself now. I am Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All our articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Guys, Command Fest just happened in Chicago and Seattle. We are fresh off of the weekend. It was such an experience, and I'm so excited to talk about it. I mean, I'm off the weekend, but I don't know if I'm fresh just yet at this point. (laughs) Still a little bit dazed and uh, a A little little bit bit. drained? Yeah, a little bit. It was a lot of Commander. That is absolutely for certain. It was such a thrilling experience, and I'm so excited to share all of it with you guys because it was just so cool. I was absolutely flummoxed the entire time. I may be a little bit lost for words this episode. My apologies. Maybe I'm not fresh with it, too. Maybe I'm also a little bit drained from it. We are recording uh, just on the Monday after the Command Fest. It was so many games, so many amazing experiences. So, so cool. I'm very, very happy that this new development has happened in the sphere of Commander. Yeah, it was a really successful weekend, and 
I'm very excited to see where this goes next year. And not only that, we've recorded the episode uh, last week. We recorded it on Monday or so. And then on Wednesday, they made a ridiculously exciting announcement about all of the other Commander products coming out in 2020. So we'll also make sure to touch on those later on in the episode as well, because 2020 is looking like an amazing year to be a Commander player. Absolutely. I mean, they kept saying that in the, the live announcement video between the Command Zone guys, Josh and Jimmy, and then Gavin was on there. A recurring theme was, it's a great year to be a Commander player, and I I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. It, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, they are not wrong. It was an, a, amazing stuff to see coming up next year. But let's begin by talking about the stuff that we just experienced at the first ever Command Fests. I attended the one in Seattle. Dana attended the one in Chicago. Matt, we're very sad that you weren't able to get to I'm one. So but sad. as we understand it, you did you did manage to get some games in yourself over the weekend too, which we're really glad to hear. I, I did. I did get some games in. It wasn't near as fun, I know, as getting to sit down next to some some awesome people. Well, I sat down with some awesome people. That's not to say that. But the, the, the names that you got to sit with, I should say. <laughs> so, Joey, since you got to go and I had to sit out, I, I'm going to take over this portion <laughs> of the episode, if that's all right with you. Heck yeah, absolutely. Take it away. Okay, well, well welcome to the EDH RecCast. Don't adjust your dials. Your audio is fine. <laughs> yeah, I, won't, I won't do a whole introduction. But since you guys did go, and I mean, obviously, you went to play Magic. What decks of Magic did you bring to play with? Uh, yeah, I took seven decks with me. I went with Marin, because of course I did. Mimeoplasm, because of course I did. Uh, but then I was also taking for a spin uh, Graven. He's been a lot of fun, losing a lot of life to deal a lot of damage. Rayhan and Ishai, my plus one counters deck, is always a handy thing that I really enjoy playing. Uh, Lord Windgrace for Landfall. Feather, because she's a darling. And I was also trying out Sir Conrad. Uh, I kind of wanted to play Mono Black, and I know that I wasn't super big into Throne of Eldraine on our uh, review show for that set, but I wanted to see if I could put those feelings aside and just try him out. Um, and that turned out to be uh, a lot of fun, actually, playing that Mono Black deck that also did a lot of graveyard stuff. Very classic me, so it sort of fit right into the wheelhouse. Gotcha. Good to hear. Dana, what would you bring? I want to bring seven decks as well. I had my Gliss of the Traitor Death Touch deck. I had uh, Asperia Supreme Judge Sphinx Tribal. I had my Crash Fling deck. I had my Vela Artifact deck. Uh, Reki History Kamigawa Legend Fall, of course. My Jeru Super Friends deck. And my Talrand Cantrip Drakes deck. Awesome. What's well, good? A lot of fun Sounds stuff. Sounds like you guys had some very well. Dana had diverse decks. Joey had graveyards. Let's, <laughs> let's be real here. Uh, but no, that's awesome. I also went with uh, my younger brother and one of my best friends, um, and they have a slew of delicious decks between them, like Slivers and Morphs and Arcades, Walls and uh, Sphinx Tribal also there with Unesh. So uh, to anyone who played against them over the Command Fest, I hope you gave them what for, because they're the players who routinely challenge me in every game and force me to improve my game and come out ahead. Uh, so, you know, there was some diversity, maybe not with my decks, but with the decks that the folks that I went with, uh, they, you know, they, they brought some other non-graveyard decks with them. Um, and also, while was there. I also brought some uh, awesome Ediatrek pins and some playmats to give away too. And uh, fellas, I actually ran out of those. There were there were people asking uh, to play games and stuff, and I was giving them away. And eventually, I ran out, and I, I kind of felt that actually. But it was a really cool experience to run out of the things that I'd come to give away. Yeah, I, I had two playmats left. I gave those both away, and I still have a couple pins left, but not many. I gave out quite a few of those as well. At one point, it was actually the EDH rec pin was being used for the monarch in a game. That was being <laughs> that's, that is a noble the table way. to mark. Yeah, yeah. 
Very best cool. use of an EDH rec pin. That's a delightful. So, so my next question then, guys, we talked about the decks. What was the venue like? We all met together in Kansas City. You guys went to Vegas together. This is our first Magic Fest apart, really. Uh, what were the venues like, Joey? How about that? Yeah, uh, so ours took place at the Seattle Center, which is a really nice space. It actually sold out while we were there, which was really cool to see. But it was also a good size. Like, it wasn't overly crowded, but it also wasn't too sparse. So you could walk around, but you weren't, like, you know, brushing elbows with people. So it felt like a really, really good thing. Kudos to Channel Fireball for finding the right space for it. Um, and then it was definitely bigger than the area that they had in the command zone for Vegas, um, a much bigger hall. And they had signs denoting the different spaces for, like, on-demand events, but, like, you know, the battle bond drafts and such like that but then they also had bigger signs uh for sections for like casual play or competitive play oathbreaker brawl canadian uh highlander uh, tons of different variants that you could uh, go to tables in those different sections too um so there was a whole lot of diversity throughout all of those tables dana how was chicago um chicago was sold out as well it was at the crown plaza hotel and it was in uh, a big i don't know if you'd call it a banquet hall or um you know, kind of a ballroom looking area downstairs. So it was right in the hotel, which was kind of nice. You didn't have far to go to get to your room or, or find your way back down to the convention center. It mm -hmm. didn't have that GP vibe you get where you're in that giant high ceiling area where everyone's voice bounces around and it gets really, really loud. This was a lower ceiling room that had a lot of kind of soft walls. So it actually kept it kind of quiet in there. Um, it was a nice space for this kind of event, too. It was really nicely set up. There was uh, plenty of room to play at, although people filled up the tables very, very quickly. And at the busiest points of the day on Saturday and Sunday, it was you know, a little bit challenging to find a table sometimes, although the judges did a great job of making sure people found them. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. it was a, a really nice setup. And um, I kind of liked that it. it was a little bit different than your standard GP as well. That's, that's very cool. Yeah, there, there was a funny moment. Um, I had posted on the uh, cast Twitter, um, my location, I'd be at this table 120, come and find me play a game, get one in. Um, and then eventually later on, uh, some folks came around and took the pod numbers away on each of the tables, um, because they were dedicating that to a bit more of a casual commander play section. And I felt bad. I was like, No, I just said to meet me at table 120 and table 120 doesn't exist anymore. I, I mentioned this on Twitter. But yeah, they they didn't take them away in Chicago, but they just didn't have numbers at the beginning at all on the casual uh, play area. And when I say casual, I guess I mean non-organized play because there was CEDH yeah. happening there as well. It was just they weren't events where you were signed up for a specific thing and they didn't have numbers on those. And that would be one thing I would love to see them do moving forward is do a better job marking tables so you can, like you said, Joey, let people know where you're at and come find you for a game. Yeah, even if you're just meeting up with friends right, or something exactly. like that, too. Um, but, you know, I can also see an argument that the signs were kind of in the way and then you couldn't see things across the board or something. So uh, that might be why they got rid of them. They wanted to mark it a bit cleanly to make it uh, look different from the other sections where they did have things like drafts going on. So you can also see an argument either way. Um, but that was really a minor detail. It yeah, was for still sure. really great. And people still found me anyway to like get games in, which was really, really awesome. Well, all they had to do, Joey, was just find the find the hair and you find the Joey. <laughs> but that's that's great find, find the the guy in the edh rec shirt with the obnoxious hair uh, <laughs> it's not that obnoxious is it no, it's I'm not obnoxious. obnoxious no it's it's lovely <laughs> but i'm yeah it sounds like the facilities they they did their job at least at the very minimum if not yeah it was it was a oh a, a positive more than that it felt 
correct, awesome. I guess, is the weird way to say it. Like, I've been to plenty of Magic Fest before. They had the vendors all along the sides, and it just it, it, it wasn't, like, tense in the way that you'd have, uh, you know, a tournament setting, so there's sort of a ticking clock the entire time. That was the atmosphere. It felt really nice that you could uh, come and go as you please, and it was um, very relaxed to be able to get a game in and stuff like that. So that atmosphere alone made it a lot more friendly, I would say, um, than sometimes it can be a bit intimidating to go to a, a tournament setting for those events. So yeah, I really think they hit it out of the park. And I will also mention this. There were quite a few judges there, but they weren't just judging. They were doing a lot of matchmaking as well. So if like mm-hmm. you walked over to that that pickup game area, you could just say, hey, I'm looking to find a casual game. And a judge would say, OK, let me give, give me two minutes. And very rarely did it take that long. They would usually have you sitting down with a group of people within minutes. Like, like people That's just amazing. did not have to wait. They did a really nice job keeping eye on that kind of thing, too. That's really, really cool. Love that. Yeah, that that's very awesome to hear. So I'm assuming you guys well, Joey, I saw the pictures, so I know you met plenty of people, but <laughs> but but Dana, your your social media, your your Twitter pictures, they're lacking. So please regale us with who all you got to meet and hang out with <laughs> while you were in Chicago. Chicago was relatively quiet. Um everybody had went to Seattle to hang out with Joey, from what I could tell. Um, specifically making that trip to, to spend time with him, um, it, which is good. Like, you know, I, he's he's lonely. Oh he needs to have people come, come tell him his hair looks awesome. Please um, stop teasing me. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, Chicago was relatively quiet. I got to play a couple games with Erin Campbell, who is always a highlight nice. of one of these things to play with. She's Long absolutely she the best. Um, so yeah, that was great. I got to see her. Um, but that was really it. I, I know Mitch from Commander's Quarters was there somewhere, but I did not run into him. I don't think there was so many people. I just it's it's it was just a whirlwind of of shaking hands and and being given names. Um, but it was a little more low key, I'm guessing, in Chicago than it was out in Seattle at Joey Fest. So ho- hopefully, oh my goodness. <laughs> You guys sound like my younger brother. Joey, Joey <laughs> he kept Palooza. On, oh, oh, he, he kept on he kept on teasing me too because he knows that there's like this small amount of internet notoriety uh, that we have as well. So he kind of was making similar jokes in this vein, and now they're making onto the podcast. This is oh, it's traumatizing, guys. You, you you thought you could get away from it, but but Dana, I'm glad you got to <laughs> hang out with Aaron. I I'm bummed. Yeah, I, I both of you guys have gotten to meet Aaron in in person. I still haven't had that honor yet. So hopefully here in the near future we'll be able to to meet up. So Joey. Your turn. Obviously, Joey, <laughs> Joey was in the building. I'm sure there was fanfare and trumpets and everything. But who else was at, at Command Fest Seattle? You guys are it's it's so funny that you guys are making such a thing about this because everyone was there. Like I'm lowest on that ladder. Genuinely, <laughs> there were so many folks there. The entire rules committee was there for the first time in over a decade. Every member of the rules committee was in the same location. I'm surprised that the universe didn't like implode into a singularity. So that was a really big thing. Uh, so you have also like I got to meet up with Cameron from Lab Maniacs again, whose Will and Rowan deck is delightfully wicked, by the way. Uh, Andy and Michael from Architect were there, who are quickly becoming some of my favorite people in the universe. Um, I got to actually hang out with some of the members of the uh, Rules Committee. I hung out with Gavin Duggan at the Commander Party. Um, I got to play several games with Sheldon Mennery. Not one, not two, but three games with Sheldon Mennery. One for each of us. Um, I got to meet with Josh Lequai, who actually recognized me, which was surreal, by the way. And of course, uh, cosplayer extraordinaire Olivia Gilbert-Hicks as well. Yeah, speaking of Olivia, she actually... Well, it was announced at Command Fest Seattle. She is the newest addition 
the the mother of cosplay herself to be added to the commander advisory group. Olivia, this is awesome. We're so happy for you. We know you're going to do an amazing job there. We Everyone can see your passion for the game, so we're very excited to see that carried out on, on the CAG. Yeah, very well-deserved congratulations. I got to spend a little bit of time with Olivia as well at the Commander Party on Saturday evening. She is a force to be reckoned with and one of the nicest dang people you'll ever meet. Uh, she also won the charity uh, charity stream that took place during the event, so congratulations on that front as well. Um, seriously, really, really awesome to see another uh, member added to the Commander Advisory Group uh, for more of that community face to uh, help bring the, the community all together and uh, have more of that transparency between what's going on with the rules for Commander and to uh, help shape the direction that the format will go. Really, really awesome. Congratulations again, Olivia, on that. It was really awesome getting to meet so many of the folks there. I, uh, it was it was such a, a cool thing. So for all of the teasing that you guys are giving me about like, oh, you know, Joey went to the, everyone's going to see Joey. Everyone was going to see these people. It was so cool that I was able to meet up with all of these amazing community members. Really, really, in like, I want to say intimidating. And yet they were also welcoming too. Like, it was just, it was so wonderful. Well, well good. I'm, I'm glad you weren't too, you know, starstruck when you got starstruck. Yeah, when you, when you yeah. got to meet everybody. But you know, a little bit's probably good to keep you on your toes. So it's good. I'm Very glad much. you guys got to meet. Sounds like a, a good deal of just awesome people, hang out with, play a lot of games. Um, but what, so obviously at Commander Fest, you guys played a lot of games. We talked about the facilities, talked about what was going on there. Did you guys do anything offsite? I, I hear there was a Commander party in Seattle, Joey, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that took place on Saturday night. It actually took place in the Museum of Pop Culture, the Mopop, which is one of my favorite places in Seattle. Um, Mostly, though, we were confined to the restaurant area since it was after hours. Um, so we didn't get to see any of the awesome exhibits, uh, which they have magic art and uh, exhibits for the artists of different fantasy tropes and stuff in uh, that museum. They have this amazing tornado of guitars in the lobby. Um, but we were sort of confined to the restaurant area. Um, so I'm sad that, you know, not everyone got to see all of the cool things in uh, that particular museum. Um, what is funny, though, in that restaurant area, people did play games on the tables like a lot. As soon as we got there, people were immediately busting out their decks and playing even more magic. But it was also, you know, really, really wonderful to see that. I mean, it was a restaurant, so it was lit for ambiance rather than card games. So it was like a little bit hard to see. Uh, but still, it was really awesome. That's where I got to meet most of the uh, big community members that I had the good fortune to meet up with. And that's also where I got the chance to chat with some folks from Wizards of the Coast about how they use EDH Rec, and also where I got to chat with some of the folks on the Rules Committee about the site features that they use and that they would like to see in the future. So that was especially cool uh, to sort of touch base with them, see if any of the suggestions that they have are able to incorporate themselves into the website to provide better recommendations for folks when they're using the website. That would be pretty cool to see, actually. I, I, I definitely agree. Dana, did you guys do anything off-site at all? Th there was a, um, you know, like a commander and drinks thing in Chicago, but it was literally in like half of the, the convention center. They kind of pulled a divider out and had a separate area where you could, mm. you know, pay for a cash bar and play. And I want, I didn't do that. It basically lets you play an extra hour or two later after the, the normal room would have closed. Um, but there was nothing offsite at all. And I, I, the main reason I didn't do it was because I had just had a long week. I had driven, like 14 hours on on Tuesday, and then I had driven back to Chicago Thursday night, and it was kind of a snowstorm most of the way there. So, like after playing all day Friday and then all day Saturday, I just wanted to go back to the hotel room, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, like an old man, and watch Matlock and go to bed. <laughs> Dana, I always thought you were a Murder She Wrote fan, but 
I guess Matlock is is the thing. Close enough. Close enough. All right. <laughs> they, they, it was a crossover episode, so they were all oh, there along with the okay. Golden Girls. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm the Murder, She Wrote fan, so you got one of us there, That's Matt. true. All right, well, so we talked a little bit about what was going on, what the feeling was like, but there were games played, I, I understand. <laughs> Correct me if I'm yes, wrong. Yes, we did play, but we played some Commander there at you the You did play fest, some Matt. Commander. Good, well, tell me about the Commander game. So, so what was the most fun single deck? I, I remember when we were in Kansas City... We played against the uh, Var Child Survival Tribal Survivor Tribal deck with the little plastic babies. Anything fun that just jumps out to your guys' minds <laughs> right now? Oh yeah, that was an iconic deck. Joshua Swopes uh, using well, those Josh. baby uh, dolls as as tokens. That yes. was hilarious. Um, for me, I think I have two answers about the most iconic decks while I was there. Um, one of them, I. Uh, I guess this is kind of kind of cheating, but it was such a cool project that I have to mention it. Um, there was a uh, a gent named Will that I met up with um, and played a game with, and he had this awesome randomizer uh, situation for his decks, where he would roll a dice to pick, like sort of just a d10, uh, to pick which guild he would play, and then opened up this bag and got all of these deck boxes, each with a guild symbol on. Um, and so once he rolled to figure out what it was, he'd take that deck out and then pulled them out, pulled that deck out, and took the ten different legendary creatures that were in that deck and then rolled another d10 to see which <laughs> one he would play so it like there was a golgari for instance so pulled that out and then rolled to see if it's marin or if it's going to be storev or if it's going to be gerard or if it's going to be gitrog monster so there was a deck prepared for any potential uh legendary creature which was just really, really cool to see that much dedication to that project. Um, and he had this awesome system to make sure that they didn't repeat any games, but it was just such a cool thing to see uh, and worked really, really well. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but then the other answer that I would have would be uh, Sheldon Menory's, I guess I'm going to call it an Aikido deck, where you use your enemy's weight against them. Uh, in his own words, the deck literally doesn't do anything until his opponents do something, which we didn't discover until partway through the game when the only spells he had cast were, you know, just a couple of mana rocks here. But then when he was attacked, he would play stuff like Deflecting Prom or, or uh, uh, Boros Fury Shield to send the damage right back at the attacker. And then, like, after the third or fourth one of those, we were just like, is that all that the deck does? And he was just like, here's my deck box. He pulls it out, puts it right in front of us, and written on the side of the deck box is the phrase, you did this to yourself. <laughs> I, I remember, I've, I've seen a couple articles Sheldon has written over at Star City Games about that. So I, I'm glad you got to experience that in, 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 in the flesh. <laughs> so Dana, what about you? What, was, what are some decks that, that jumped out to you? Well, everyone remembers that Atraxa is an angel, but you forget that she's an angel horror. And I played against an Atraxa horror tribal deck. Ooh, Sick. Go on. Um, it, it was um, from a listener, uh, Darren, who's actually from Australia, and he's in Chicago for grad school right now. So he put plays the Atraxa deck, and he's like, you know, it's, it's not a typical Atraxa deck. And it was very much not. It was, this wasn't the Atraxa deck that says it's not, and it still is. It was all horrors. It, it just all kinds of weird stuff. And I wound up looking through it because at one point I hit him with, um, there, there's a Sphinx that lets you look through your opponent's library and make them name a card. So at one point, uh, um, Chancellor Sphinx, I believe. And at one point I hit him with the Sphinx. I was like digging through the deck and I'm like, what? That's when I realized what it was. I'm like, what is I'm like, oh, these are all horrors. Oh my god. It was really, really cool. And he almost milled me out, actually. Um, 
I was at seven cards when I when I killed him because I was one more hit. He was milling me for ten a pop. I was out of the game. So he almost knocked me out with it too. That's funny, not just to hear that it's uh, an Atraxa horror tribal deck, because that's not what you expect when you see Atraxa, but also that it's milling you as the win condition, not what I'd expect from horror tribal. Yeah, I can't remember what, which horror it was, but there was a couple of them that like do a mill when they hit you, and that's what, what it was doing to me, at least. And then in, in that same pod, there was a couple other listeners in there, um, Matt, uh, who was playing Jork Kadeen equipment deck that was actually pretty effective, and I posted a picture of the, the third player, um, a guy named Trevor, who was the, the, the gentleman wearing the Christmas suit. The, the green suit with all the Christmas, the Santa Claus and stuff on it, huh. uh, who was playing a Kenrith, the Return King deck. So that was just a delightful pod to play in with that weird Atraxa deck and and Trevor in his suit, who was then also talking about how he's trying to figure out how to make his own commander format where you can only use mythics, <laughs> like the anti-popper format. <laughs> uh, so that that was just a lot of fun in general, that that entire pod. So that was a good time. It sounds like you found just your people, Dana, just people who are yes, going off the beaten path. I, Absolutely. I want to imagine Darren sitting there just, this is not the Atraxa deck you're looking for, and doing some <laughs> Jedi mind trick <laughs> yeah. to distract you guys. Well, that that's awesome. So I want to I want to ask you guys about two specific people you guys got to play games with. Obviously, Joey, you said you got to play games with the Sheldon Mentory. So, what what was that experience like? Just playing with the father of the format. It it was so wonderful. There was actually a moment. Um, this this was really hilarious. I uh, played against Sheldon and uh, the guys from Architect Andy and Michael. Um, and there was a moment where uh, a fellow walked by the table and he saw uh, Andy's. Um, playmat and his shirt which said architect on it and he the, the guy that was walking by he stopped for a second and was like oh oh you made architect i love that deck building website this is so cool and his eyes kind of uh, glanced around the table and he was just like oh edia trek shirt edia trek playmat are you joey you're you're from edia trek oh this is such cool and then he did a double take when he saw is that sheldon like he just was <laughs> absolutely floored at the people at the table <laughs> so so that that was really fun um playing against sheldon first of all dana i have to note Sheldon foils out his decks just like you. Like all the cards that could be foil were, which is not a thing that I expected, but like makes sense in retrospect. Like any gentleman would do. <laughs> yeah. I just it reminded me a lot of you. Um but it was great. Sheldon was really like Battlecruiser incarnate. Like playing him was just haymaker after haymaker. It was six drop into seven drop into eight drop. And I swear, the look he gives you when he plops the formerly banned card Protean Hulk into play <laughs> is just priceless. I'm sure. Um, we played his Marchesa deck, along May She Rain, um, and uh, Andy's Brian Stoudarn deck, and then my Conrad deck, and it was such a beautifully tense and evenly matched game. And when I say evenly matched, keep in mind that I had three copies of Cabal Coffers and was barely keeping up. That's how wild this game was. Um, and Sheldon said, even on Twitter, he said this, um, that it was his favorite, most pulse-pounding game of the weekend, uh, which was just really, really awesome. Dude was an upstanding gentleman uh, who just also, like, knew exactly how to get you. He had tons of decks that were going to go straight for value. He won two of the games that we played, but I'm happy to report that I did get him one game. I've won one of those games using my Rayhan and Ishai deck against that Aikido deflecting palm style deck that he had. Um, it required me to have a couple of counter spells like Stubborn Denial and also a Swords to Plowshares on my own creatures so that I could move the counters with Rayhan onto a different creature to make it lethal that he hadn't targeted uh, with one of his Boros Fury Shield cards. It required a lot of trickery 
three. That's how much it took to took him down. But it was a wild time playing against him. I, I did play some really good games. Um, there was one, though, actually, I think I, I had been drawing a lot of cards from whatever reason per per turn and then having to discard down to seven. And I think I did that three turns in a row before I realized I had a reliquary tower out. <laughs> And that was like, that was Saturday night, you know, like nine games deep. And I, and I was like, oh, I guess I could just hold all these cards, can I? So at that point, you're starting to make pretty uh, egregious play mistakes. And that was definitely one I was making pretty deep into the uh, experience. Yeah, your brain gets fried after a certain number of games for yeah. sure. Yeah, Joey, what about you? What are some some crazy plays that you saw? Guys, it was such a good weekend for Commander. Um one of the first games that I played on Friday was against Eric and his kid Jack. Uh, Eric is at Proggy Boog on Twitter. Um, it was amazing to see Jack betray his dad by <laughs> countering the removal spell that his dad had cast on one of my creatures while it was in combat because Jack wanted his dad to die from my creature. So that was really fun to see. Um, <laughs> my friend Ryan had an amazing Grismold uh, situation that was about to pop off with a really big Rishkar's expertise. He had a Grismold in play that was like 9 mm. or 10 or 11 power. Rishkar's expertise, he uh, cast it and I was just like, hmm, can't let that happen, so I path it or something like that. Which just leaves him with a 1-1 one, one plant token, so Rishkar's expertise only draws him one card. And then very sadly, How? the next spell that he was going to cast for free with Rishkar's expertise was Traverse the Outlands to not only get him a bunch of cards with Rishkar, but then get him lands equal to Grismold's power. Thankfully, I removed it, so it ended up being really small there. Joey, you gotta you gotta hold on. That's the Selesnya player in me is just cannot <laughs> handle what's going on right there. It was delicious. Oh my uh, goodness! My younger brother did a similar betrayal trick on me. He's got a Kadena Morph deck, and he stole my uh, when I was playing Feather. He stole Feather by switching it with his uh, Chrome Shell Crab ability, which just neutered me the entire rest of the game because I don't control Feather anymore. Whatever will I do? Um, a lovely guy that I played against, also named Joe, he got a Chandra emblem, the Chandra Torch of Defiance, which whenever you cast a spell, it does five damage. So in the weirdest situation, he used Teferi's Protection offensively instead of defensively because he cast it for lethal damage to deal the last five to someone. Uh, really, really awesome there. Um, probably, let's see, I've got... One of my favorites for sure uh, was when I somehow managed to get seven lands into play on turn two in my Graven deck. Yeah, you got you got to keep going here because that, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. It was just like turn one was really innocent, but there was a Kyrick player who got like a Mana Vault and a Mana Crypt and a Soul Ring or something like that. It was absolutely crazy. And so then the fourth person in the game was like, hmm, this seems like a good time to play Collective Voyage, where if everyone pays a bunch of mana, we all get basic lands. And the Kyrick player was like, you know what? I had a ridiculous start. Let's see what happens. And we each paid a bunch of mana. So on... Turn two, I had like seven or eight mana. I got to play Graven. The game was over by turn four because everyone had that many lands. It was just off to the races with that. Um, definitely my all-time favorite thing, though, was using that new Sir Conrad deck. Like, he's got a bunch of triggered abilities to deal damage to people when things go to the graveyard or when they leave the graveyard or things like that. Um, but he's also got that really cool activated ability where you pay two mana and everyone mills one card off the top of their deck. Well, I got to use that ability whenever someone played a Mystical Tutor to put something on top of their deck or a Vampiric Tutor whenever they put something on top of their deck. And I would just very slowly tap two mana and use Conrad's ability to get rid of the card they just tutored for. That was absolutely divine. That just sounds unkind, <laughs> and I do not appreciate it for their sakes. I had but Dana, any Dana, any any other plays that you had that just 
blew your mind? Um, for for a, a one that kind of felt bad was I went to remove a Gaia's Cradle on a player with a Beast Within, and his response was to, I believe, flash in Yeva and then flash in Eternal Witness to bring back a crop rotation to crop rotation the Gaia's Cradle to go get a Nykthos, which at that point was tapping for more mana than the guy's cradle. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't, a, wasn't a, like, it wasn't an incorrect play on my part, but it was, man, that did not feel good. Backfired and, in a big way, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And I had one game where somebody had a board state, and I was playing my Vela deck, and I had a Mystic Forge out, and I had um, Dryer's Familiar out, and I Semblance Anvil, and I think I also had... Uh, cloud key in place. My artifacts were costing three less, and I was able to, I was like able to cast artifacts off the top for three less mana, so generally speaking, a lot of the mana rocks and stuff were free, and I had something in play that would like make a token whenever I cast an artifact spell, which I could skull clamp to draw two cards if the ones on top weren't artifacts I could cast for free, trying to dig down to hit a Toxic Deluge. And I think I managed to, like, cycle down through 25 to 30 cards to find that oh Deluge to wipe the board, Ooh. just using that Mystic Forge and casting stuff for free off the top and then sacking it to either make mana or Skull Clamp to draw cards and, and keep going and going and going down. And I managed <laughs> to uh, find the, the board wipe, meanwhile making myself an absolute target in the process. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you couldn't pull off that feat and then just not just get everybody's attention yeah, no, right. I was, yeah, that was uh, put the crosshairs right in my Deservedly forehead. Deservedly so. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad you guys just had some amazing sounding games. I, it makes me even more jealous that I, I could not have been there. It, it, it sounds like you just had, you could not have had more fun if you tried. If you had been there, we would have had more fun, Matt. We would have, Matt, for sure. Oh, my heart's so warm right now. <laughs> but it was a <laughs> really, you, really, really successful event. I am so glad Good. I went, and I will go to more of these next year for sure. Hey, I'm Nolan Sykes, a host of Past Gas, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Every week, my co-hosts, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hollowed halls of car history. From the amazing to the weird to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive podcast in the world. Awesome. So here's here's a question then. I want to zoom out from the games themselves. What were some trends you guys kind of noticed? I mean, we are EDH rec associated. We talk a lot about data. So what were some trends? That, you know, was there anything that stuck out to you guys as far as uh, what was happening amongst the players from a, a, a bird's eye view, I guess? Was there anything on the, the, the meta as a whole? So when we had talked about the similar thing after Kansas City, I had seen quite a few planeswalkers, I thought, in KC and around that time of the year, I was seeing a, what felt like more Planeswalkers and decks after War of the Spark came out. I would say that was no longer the case by the time this event happened. There were probably more games where I didn't see a single Planeswalker than there were ones where I saw multiples. And that was across, you know, 20-some games that I played. So that seemed, mm. at least at this event, in the, the pods I played in, there were just generally less planeswalkers 
and the last up person was playing a dedicated Planeswalker deck for the most part. I think that's interesting. up with me too. I don't think that I saw too many walkers out there. Yeah, there, there wasn't the, you know, I'm, I'm, I've now jammed this Narset in my blue deck because it's such a good card in other formats. That, I think, was happening for a while earlier in the year, and I just I feel like mm-hmm. maybe that's now no longer the thing it once was. Yeah. Yeah. I think we also, I saw a really broad selection of commanders as well. I, I, it wasn't like I felt like I saw, you know, I, I didn't see a single Chulane. Uh, I think I saw one Alela. I don't think I saw an Emery. I didn't see an Urza. I think the only thing I saw more than two times would have been Korvald. And how'd that go? That I'm, I, we 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 are kind of skeptical of it. Is it true? It's a strong commander. The bigger problem, such as it is, is it's a super dirtily deck, and it's it's dirtily moving to a win condition. It's you know it's putting counters on Corvald as it goes, and it's trying to get to that point where it can just dome somebody either with Corvald damage in the air or it's trying to find a combo piece. But the act of getting there is really, really goldfishy. So, like, I felt like in almost all of the Corvald games I played in, there was a lot of people spending time on their phones watching the person with a Corvald deck cast that Terramorphic Expanse and then crack it and put a counter and go get a land and then replay that to sacrifice it to go get a you know another land they can put into play, to sacrifice Desert and Orb to gain two life to then put a counter on Corvald and then use that to, you know, like there, there was a lot of that kind of thing happening. And that does happen in games. I, I mentioned my Vela deck on that Mystic Forge turn trying to find that Toxic Deluge, but that was a turn trying to do a thing. And I felt like that Corvald deck had a lot of turns and that was every Corvald deck was doing that where most of the turns were like that. And I want to qualify yeah. uh, something that Matt, you said we were skeptical about Corvold, not in its power level. That's not what we were skeptical about. No. We were skeptical about whether it would lead into those types of uh, games. And, you know, Dana seems like that's something that you noticed. Yeah. Weirdly for me, the trend that I, I didn't see any cards from Throne of Aldrain. The only person that was playing them was me because I had a Sir Conrad deck. I didn't see any Chulains, any Corvolds, any Alilas, no Embry. I think... I think uh, there, there was one person that I played against, uh, his name was Colin, and he had a Torbrand deck, the mono-red one that increases damage. Um, but, like, yeah, aside from that, I don't think I saw anything from Throne of Eldrain. And I, I have a theory that it's not that the cards from Throne of Eldrain are necessarily unpopular. I just think that they were all probably playing in the Brawl section of the event, um, especially because those were the Brawl decks, many of those commanders that are the most popular from that set. So it might be that after, you know, something like that, if, if it does have a dedicated space, people are trying out the Brawl format, that's where those commanders all were. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not actually going to become popular commanders, because clearly the data that we're seeing suggests that they are becoming very popular popular commanders indeed uh, but yeah i also just didn't happen to see any of them at all either yeah that's that's very interesting actually joey was there anything else you noticed or any any things that popped out to you just as far as what the the playing atmosphere was like what people were doing with their decks um i think some folks uh also kind of got into that brain space that um that dana had mentioned uh where you get a little bit fried and i know this definitely happened for me because i did get a great henge into play for the first time which is that amazing green mana rock that taps for mana and gains you life and draws you a card and puts a counter on your creatures when they come into play 
I got that into play for the first time, and the thing that I noticed was that I routinely forgot how much that card does. Like, every time I played a creature, I forgot some aspect of the Great Henge. I forgot that it gives you life. I forgot that it gives you mana. I forgot that it gives you a counter on the creature. I forgot that it draws you a card. Every time, I just forgot about some piece of that. Um, and I think I noticed that a handful of people um, that were also kind of like, oh, goodness, these th there's so much that this is going on. Okay, one second. Um... But people did, they, their play was really tight, but like uh, later on in the day, there was that, uh, we played a lot of Commander, people kind of got a little bit fried. Um, actually, here's one that did kind of get me, and this felt personal, it's that people were paying for the <laughs> Smothering Tithe triggers. <laughs> That's a trend that I noticed. <laughs> no one let me get treasure. I did have one amazing game where I was playing with Feather, I did have a Smothering Tithe in play, and I got the Dockside Extortionist who gives you treasures for everyone else's artifacts and enchantments, and in my Feather deck I have a small number of Blink spells, so I was able to routinely Blink the Dockside Extortionist to give me, I got to like 60 treasures, it was disgusting, absolutely crazy, but... In every other game, everyone paid for the smothering tithe triggers, which just felt like felt like it was intentional. <laughs> I hope it was personal, actually. <laughs> just knowing you, I, I hope they they saw you doing that and just like, oh, no, this this cannot happen anymore. Well, that's that's very cool, guys. So one thing we kind of touched on is is how we we pointed out Corvold was was a pretty powerful commander. And one question I'm very interested to see your guys' answers on is. What was it like navigating power level with strangers? Kind of the, the big to-do today on, on social medias, on Twitter. People were talking a lot about power levels and how you know those conversations have been going, competitive versus casual. What was it like being on site, trying to find a game? Dana, you said you, know, you could go up to judges and say, I want to find a casual game and that would happen. What was it like just trying to talk to strangers and, and find a game? I would say 99% of the time it was really, really smooth. Um, everyone would just say, what are you playing? And, and, you know, I'm playing a power level, you know, six to seven, which kind of wound up being the default answer from everybody. So that might tell you something a little bit. There weren't CEDH level decks playing in the non-CEDH level area. Um, those, those folk were pretty much looking to get bloody against one another. Um, so that wasn't at all a problem. There were a few minor power discrepancy issues, but they tended to be about players' um, self-evaluation of their own deck for the most part. Mm. But the conversation happened in every single pod. I would say the one thing worth noting is as the weekend went on, one of the things I started doing was maybe going into a little bit more detail. Yes, this is a casual deck, um, but heads up, I have a revised dual land in here. And there's also a Mox Opal because it's an artifact deck and that's on theme. So don't get scared if you see me open with a revised duel and drop a Mox Opal on turn four. I'm still not going to win the game before turn 10. It's not that kind of deck. So I started adding a little more info as I went. Hey, I'm playing a Talran deck. It's not 22 Counterspell Talran. There's like five or six Counterspells in this deck. So I started adding a little more info just to make sure the expectation was as set as much as I could without, you know, going overboard. I, I, that actually kind of lines up with my experience as well. Frequently what we would say when folks would ask us about power level, um, me and my buddies, we were, uh, you know, our decks are tuned. Like we've made intentional choices for every single card in there. Um, and they're not competitive by any means, but the decks are, you know, we, we tune them up. We, we like to play uh, a, a nice big haymaking kind of game. Um, 
And and adding a little bit of extra detail was actually something that I found that we were doing as well, that we would sort of qualify a few of the extra things that we've got in there. Um, like I'll mention that I have Machaos in uh, my uh, Marin deck or something, but I don't have Triskelion in there because I'm not doing that type of combo, like that kind of thing. So that's yeah. actually uh, an experience that also lines up with uh, with me too, Dana. So that's a, a funny thing that you mentioned there. I kind of want to touch on, you had mentioned uh, maybe power level discrepancies happening with... Um, Folks may be misevaluating their own decks. That's also something that I saw. People who maybe didn't realize uh, how powerful the stuff that their deck could do would be. Um, someone with a mono blue artifact deck uh, that maybe didn't uh, register the different combos that it was opening up into, for example. I think that might also be uh, something that I noticed a little bit as well. It was a bit more peripheral for me, but that it was something that I uh, slowly sort of became aware of as the weekend went on. Um, but again, like you said, 99% of cases, it was yeah. really very smooth. Um, I, so it was, uh, like I said, peripheral. What I think that the other discrepancy was is... There, there's three power brackets in the kind of pickup game area. There was a casual, there was competitive, and there was casual slash competitive, which you would assume would be kind of in the middle. Um, what really wound up happening was the competitive bracket was exclusively CEDH tier decks and the good ones. So occasionally you would see that, that deck in the casual slash competitive bracket that was like, this is my Narset extra turns, extra combat steps deck, but it's not competitive because I'm missing a Lion's Eye Diamond. And I have literally every other card from the perfect Narset deck, but like they would count it as not competitive because it wasn't the perfect CEDH list. There wasn't a lot of that, but there was a few of those where I think people would try to play the color deck casual just because it wasn't perfectly competitive. And, and, and I don't know... Maybe that was the intent. I guess I'm not really sure. But my assumption going in was the competitive bracket would contain m more decks beyond just what the accepted CEDH meta list was. You know, if you were to say the the power rankings, if you were to arbitrarily say, you know, rank your deck on a scale from 1 to 10, my assumption would be with three brackets, you'd have, you know, 1 through 4, 5 through 7, 8 through 10. And what it wound up being was the only decks playing in that competitive bracket were 9.9 .9 and 10. So that caused a few issues, but those were relatively minor for the most part. Uh, myself, personally, I would say the, the main power discrepancies I saw between myself when I was playing with people where I felt I was playing at a higher power level, it was almost always less about the cards um, being powerful and more about synergies between cards. So like my deck will be running cards that weren't necessarily more powerful than what they were running. It's just they worked better with each other than the person mm. who I was playing against deck might might work. And there was also some elements where, to, I'll use my crush deck for an example. That's not a particularly monstrously powerful deck, but if you are a casual player who is used to just throwing creatures at one another and i drop an ignition team which isn't a particularly powerful creature but it comes into play with like 14 counters on it which in that deck oftentimes get doubled and then i fling that at somebody for lethal and then flash back that gravitic punch from the graveyard and hit somebody else and then those counters have gone on to crash and then i fling crash people get killed out of nowhere in that deck, and I think casual players aren't really used to maybe thinking about things in that way sometimes. 
So I think those were the two kind of weird things I saw with power where I had some synergies that kind of you, you don't see sometimes among casual players. And sometimes I had decks that were doing things in a way that casual players weren't maybe ready for. It is funny to hear right. the, you know, the decks that are really, really, really hyper-tuned that aren't necessarily competitive. So I can see where there would be a little bit of a struggle for those players to find necessarily where they're supposed to fit within that hall. I totally get that. But then I've also got a few decks. I know that my Marin deck in particular is capable of some amazing living end wins that pull a bunch of stuff out of nowhere. And then Grey Merchant can sacrifice, come back with Mikaios, and then do it all, loop it three times for an also out of nowhere win. And I can see that's one of the things that annoys people about combo sometimes is that it feels out of nowhere like there was little interaction that they could have done. So I can see also that basically all of this is boiling down to the conversation about power level requires a bit more nuance. It's yeah. going to be a bit more complicated going forward. That's something that uh, you know requires a bit more attention uh, when you sit down with folks. Mo like like Dana and I both mentioned. It was very smooth for the book. Yes, we yep. qualified a little bit of extra detail. We are commenting on the stuff that we saw on the fringes, not the stuff yes. that dominated our experience. These are really tiny observations compared to the really awesome number of games that we played that felt smooth and felt awesome and felt evenly keeled. That's really much more the experience. But there are still those extra cases on the edges that we can be attentive about. Yeah, sure. Going forward. Yeah. Like, for example, like if your deck, your deck could entirely be relatively casual while running a mana crypt and a guy's cradle, that deck exists. But that's one of those things I feel like you might want to warn the table of in advance when you sit down that you guys might see a mana crypt and a guy's cradle drop here and heads up if you don't want to deal with that. Um, that's the kind of thing I think would be a good idea to maybe add to that kind of rule zero conversation is throw out a few cards once in a while, let people know they might be coming. <clears throat> So they can make that judgment for themselves or not your deck is going to be able to match up with theirs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made too, Dana is, you know, synergy sometimes gets mistaken yeah. as power. Uh, I, I was playing a game on Friday and I was playing Omnath and I was playing, you know, Ramin Up Excavator, which is, it's a good card. Real but I was card. looping. Love it. it was, a, yeah, it's a very good card, but I was playing Blighted Woodland, which is the effectively five mana and get two basics out of your graveyard, which I don't think anybody would say, you know, is, is explicitly broken or overly powerful, but that synergy of, you know, lining up with Omnath out on the battlefield, plus I had Titania out. So I was not mm -hmm. only getting a five, five from Omnath, I was getting a five, three that, that added up pretty quick. So just some of those little synergies, they make some cards that, you know, I think us as, you know, I would say we're entrenched players. We think they're kind of inconsequential or they're just synergistic at the table that I was at, you know, a couple of the players, they weren't really ready to interact with that in a, in a very you know positive way for themselves. It was, I'm going to have to blow up everything to get rid of those. And I don't want to blow up my stuff too. So I definitely get that, you know, sometimes the synergy can be overwhelming to the point where people just say, well, that's just a, a powerful, strong deck. This is a format where two plus two equals five and sometimes one plus one equals 17. It's a, a really cool thing to be able to harness. But yeah, those Matt, you always love coming back to communication is key. And that's definitely going forward. One of the things that we'll see at more of these events, like Dana mentioned, it was definitely a constant conversation, the power level. And we were in, in my games, we were always able to find a, a really good keel for everyone to make sure that they could each do the thing. All of the games that I played felt like awesome. they were in the spirit of the format for sure. Um, whether they were doing something very powerful or very synergistic, um, it was always something that we were able to suss 
out before the game began and as the game went on. Um, so I'm excited to see how the conversation shapes itself going forward as well, but I didn't have bad experiences with it at this particular event either. Well, that is awesome to hear, guys. I, I'm super happy for you. It sounds like it was definitely worth it, definitely worth the price of admission. I I just can't say enough how much I am jealous of the fact that you guys got to go. We will do this again. It will be all three of us, and it will be a good time. Yeah, and the guys on the rules committee as well, seeing Sheldon and Gavin and all of them being really excited at, at like watching the format become an awesome, monumentous event like this, that was also really great to see them just sort of bask in how cool it was that this format that they had uh, helped shape and create that had become this awesome thing. Uh, it, it, it was a resounding success for me, and I'm very excited for all of them going forward. Definitely a proud Papa moment. Well, Joey, I don't want to hand over the reins of power, but <laughs> I begrudgingly will. So, Joey, for the, the last few minutes of this podcast, please take it away. Yes, because it wasn't just that the Command Fests were so awesome. It's also that we found out that Commander 2020 is going to be amazing. So last Wednesday on October 30th, Gavin Verhey and Jimmy and Josh from the Command Zone podcast made this enormous announcement about the upcoming products next year. And I know that we're late to the party uh, in talking about all of these products, but we recorded the last show way before this announcement, and then we had this weekend. We've got to get it all in. We're getting so many new products for Commander in 2020. I cannot wait for all of the set reviews that we're going to have to do next year. It's so much products. So here's a really quick rundown of what we can expect from next year. In April, with the release of the upcoming set Ikoria, we'll get five new commander decks. So they're going from what they were at four, they're going back to the five new commander decks. There are going to be 71 new cards between them. Usually we only get like 50 new cards in those products. Um, and those cards will be separate from the set, but will be thematically tied to the setting of Ikoria. Uh, later on, about halfway through the year, when Zendikar Rising comes out, we're going to get two more commander decks also themed to that particular set. Three new cards will be in each of those decks, most likely the commanders that will be helming those decks. Uh, so we've got even more decks, which is absolutely crazy, but we're not done. After that, we get a Commander Collection Green, which is sort of like this signature spellbook product that they've done in the past. This will have the same formula of eight premium cards in a special product, which will have foil and non-foil versions. Dana, I'm sure that you are so happy to hear that they will have foils. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, near the end of the year, we are getting an unprecedented set, Commander Legends, which is a draftable commander set. It will have booster packs with 20 cards in them, with at least two legendaries in each of them. And along with that set, there will be two more commander decks. And they've said that there will be at least 70 legends in Commander Legends. Ooh, this is absolutely breathtaking to see all of the stuff that's coming out for Commander in 2020. So let's go through our reactions just one by one. How do you guys feel about getting five more Commander decks much sooner than usual in next year? And the fact that we're nearly doubling the number of decks that we're getting overall. We're getting nine pre-cons next year. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm First of all, I'm glad to always open a Christmas present early, and that's kind of what this is. We're getting Commander Christmas. It, you know, it moved up to, to uh, August, which was a nice little little reprieve that one year to get them early and now we're getting moved up again so hopefully this will mm -hmm. be a pattern where they they keep moving up early for us and eventually it moves back in time so i'm excited about that but i also think that it really isn't overwhelming if we break this down i mean there is a lot of new product coming out but five decks was also something we've got in the past that's not necessarily a new thing it's just a reversion to where we were once at a couple of years ago and the other four decks, like you said, they only really have three new cards. It isn't the kind of thing where 
an established player feels like you're missing out on something if you don't get those products. Those are pretty easy products to skip or just grab the singles that you want there as well. Um, so there's a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily that big of a change from what we've had in the past, with the exception of the Commander Legends set, which is amazing. And I'm <laughs> so, so excited to to actually get that as well. So I'm just hyped and there's no... I've got I've got none of the negative. Oh my god, this is a lot of stuff that I've kind of heard from a few people. Yeah, I'm kind of joking when I say, "Oh, we're gonna have so many set reviews." I mean, that's exciting. It it really yes. is. Set reviews take a lot of energy to record and stuff like that. But I mean, that's energy I'm willing to devote if it means that we get more cool commander stuff. Yeah, it, it's a lot of stuff, but it feels manageable if you really think about it. Yeah, I, I think Dana brings up a really good point. Is 2020 is kind of the year? It, it is absolutely a great time to be a commander player. Josh and Gavin yeah. and Jimmy. They all were 100% correct. Like, there, there is so much going on with the Command Fest, all that. It, it's going to be an amazing year. And I think people are kind of having that product fatigue that they talk about. And I think there's a lot of assumptions that players think that, you know, oh, okay, it's got Commander on the box. That means it's for me. And, and maybe this is the year that not every Commander product is for every Commander yes. player. I think that's something that it's going to take a kind of a paradigm shift of we need to remember that the, the, the pre-cons that are coming out with the Return to Zendikar, those are basically replacing Planeswalker decks. So if you weren't buying the Planeswalker decks before, then you probably don't want to buy these pre-cons, except you know, maybe if you and a buddy want to split it for the commanders in there. These aren't supposed to be another version of Commander 2020 or Commander 2019, anything like that. These these are intentionally designed to be something for new players to come in and be able to have on, you know, have on the shelves at all times. A lot of stores sell out of the, the Commander Precons. They're very popular box sets. So having that on the shelf for somebody at all times to have a Precon to come to, that's what they're designed to. They're not designed for, you know, Joey, Dan, and I. It's something that they want to have for the new player. Who, you know, you're bringing your little brother, your little sister in to play Commander. They've never built a deck before, so they have that to go to. It's going to be something that it... It's okay that we don't need to buy everything. I don't think I've bought a pre-con deck in two years, maybe, because the product isn't for me. Well, not only is the product maybe not necessarily for everybody, but even if it isn't for you, it's probably still going to benefit you by knocking prices down by virtue of there being reprints in those commander decks. The, the four that only have the three new cards are clearly going to have a ton of reprints that will hopefully impact prices and make things cheaper for you. Same thing with the the, the Commander Green, uh, Commander Collection Green. If it's not something that you necessarily want to chase down just for one card, it still may help you by reducing the costs on those cards in the secondary market. So stuff isn't for you, but it might still wind up benefiting you. And it's funny that you mentioned the Commander Collection Green because, Dana, that actually sounds like a product that isn't necessarily for Matter Me, but that you would be very interested in because it's going to have some foil versions and maybe even foil versions of cards that never had foil versions before. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a perfect kind of niche product yeah. that if you don't want to get, you're not really missing out on anything. But the people that are looking for that you know, foil nature's lore or, or three visits or something, it might finally have a version of those cards for us. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And a quick note on that Commander Collection, they showed artwork of a card that's going to be appearing there, which features Yeeson Wanderer Bard in the art. 
And it's not a new reprint of Yeezen. They've gone on record that it's going to be a spell rather than a new uh, version of a legendary card for him. To me, it kind of looks like it would be artwork for a new Court of Calling or potentially Harmonize, but most likely a new version of Court of Calling. It's just sort of a hypothetical out there. But yeah, it's not the type of product that I'm necessarily into, but that it still is nice that we have a signature spell book that yeah. is tailored for our format. Yeah, and it's it's there's so much going on there there's going to be something for everyone but not everything is for like one person specifically so i think that's just it there's so much going on and it's awesome it actually uh kristen gregory over at hipsters the coast she wrote a fantastic article article about fomo and just guys it's it's okay like you're not missing out on anything by skipping this specific product just because it says commander on it and i think that's just that it resonated so, so much with me. And I, I hope more players keep it in mind when 2020 comes around. That's what's really nice about this. I remember being so excited when we got one dedicated commander product per year and you know, there was sort of that mentality among some standard or modern players that not every product was for them and their deck and what they would be doing within their format. And now we're also reaching that point where not every product that they come out with is necessarily for us too. Let's it, it, it's such a good thing, and I'm so excited to see all of the stuff that's coming up, especially because one of the sets that they announced definitely seems like it's going to be within my alley. Commander Legends, a draftable commander set. Does this sound amazing to you guys, ludicrous to you guys? Does it sound like Battleborn 2.0? What are your impressions about draftable commander? Uh, so great. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm really curious to see how it's going to wind up working. But again, in terms of adding cards to our collections... You know, we do get the Battle Bond set or the or the Conspiracy set or the Modern Horizons kind of set every year, every other year. I, I would guess this is going to wind up adding a similar amount of cards to, to decks we run. So it's just kind of another variant on that, but an even more exciting one. I, I'm, really hyped, <laughs> I'm really hyped for it. <laughs> yeah, and a couple of quick notes about that too. They've showcased artwork of a new version of Baron Sengir, uh, a new legendary card for that character, and a new Planeswalker that looks to be uh, the character Jessica, although that is still definitely a bit of theory, but it looks pretty convincing yeah. uh the cards there will not be thematically tied to any one set or location so we'll get more of the traditional uh commander legendary creatures that come from all places in magic's lore um there are also going to be two more commander decks tied to that set as well which is absolutely absolutely crazy let's put our speculation hats on for a minute what would you anticipate seeing in a set like this a draftable commander set i mean i think multiplayer matters types of mechanics are going to be hammered down it was really cool to see them do it in Conspiracy and Battle Bond and even a little bit in like Oath of the Gatewatch that was designed to be a two-headed giant type of pre-release. I hope that space is going to be explored quite a bit. They haven't really done that a whole lot in you know actual Commander pre-con sets. So the types of mechanics they can play around with in getting drafted along with being multiplayer focused, those are the ones that I think personally I'm the most excited to see. Yeah, I would expect personally that partners is something that we will see if we're supposed to be drafting this particular set and that uh, drafting just requires a degree of flexibility to sort of grease the wheels as you're going that you can maybe potentially change uh, your strategy on the fly if you find out that you're being cut on a specific strategy you can move into something new which means that the partner mechanic would be a really great way to let you sort of switch up strategies so that you can get one commander and then switch over to a different secondary commander if you need to switch strategies during the draft that's my personal uh, theory about what we might see in the format there too partners to allow for drafting flexibility yeah, I would guess we'll get a reprint of some of those and possibly some some new ones as well. But 
partner, I think, is definitely a mechanic. I, I have made no secret of, of my lack of love for the original implementation, but it does make a lot of sense here in this draft environment where you can, you know, crack a couple different ones and then kind of make your deck as you go matching up those partners. Um, I, I'm betting we'll see it. I'd be shocked if we don't. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that we can expect is just reprints. That's the one thing every player is going to be excited about is there's going to be reprints. And that was one thing they drove home very well is mm -hmm. there's going to be a ton of reprints in this set. So I think the notion that some players had that maybe, oh, well, they're getting rid of the Modern Masters sets. There's there's not going to be as many reprint avenues. That has completely been smashed to smithereens at this point. There, there's no reason to believe that the Wizards is not going to find new ways to reprint cards. And I'm just excited about that too. Just what are they going to be able to make matter reprint wise in the set that also matters with all these new mechanics that are probably going to be introducing. Yeah, if there's anything that I learned over this weekend, it's that Commander is not just on the radar for Wizards of the Coast. It is a priority, and they have been absolutely uh, putting this format at the forefront, especially for all of the stuff that we're getting next year, for other events like these Command Fests. This isn't just burgeoning. It is growing and growing and growing at such an awesome rate. I'm so excited to see what all of this holds for us in the future. I got to ask, which of these products are you most excited about? Are you excited for, you know, the increased commander deck output for the pre-cons? Uh, do you think that you're most excited for the commander collection green? Are you most excited for commander legends drafting commander? Which product do you think most captures your fancy? Um, I, I'm glad to get the, the decks early, but without a doubt, commander legends, it's just, it's an exciting thing to to draft and have that be a commander product, but the opportunity is what I'm most excited about. The fact that this is kind of a Modern Horizons-esque set where they can do weird time spiral stuff and revisit mechanics that they can't revisit in any other form is something I'm really, really hyped for, both in terms of being able to reprint things like maybe Enchant Worlds, on my concordant crossroads that they just can't reprint anywhere else <laughs> or things like mystic remora which they can't reprint anywhere else so th there's cards that have weird mechanics that are never gonna see the light of day in any other place that can they can do that here and they can also come back and revisit things like modular or energy or um exalted that you're just not going to also probably see show up in in other sets so it's it's going to be hopefully Modern Horizons all over again where you just get this, let's just try it and put it on a card. And that's what I'm most excited for, without a doubt. I think Dane is the only person jonesing for a concordant crossroads reprint and foil. <laughs> like, let's just be real. There are but dozens I, 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 of I, us. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you you are right. I, I think, man, you, you almost have to be excited for Commander Legends. You, the way that Gavin talked about it in the video, you want to think that this is the this is the set that he kept hinting towards, and he hinted towards it when he came on the podcast as a guest. The 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 most excited he is about a set coming up hasn't been announced yet, and just how just the joy on his face you can yeah. see it. So as as excited as Gavin is to talk about the set, and as little as he could actually talk about it, even um, I think we we need to be excited about Commander Legends because. There, there's so much going on here and we don't even know anything about it, but we know there's a bunch going on in the set. 
I man, it's it's hard not to be super super pumped for Commander Legends. Yeah, that's my vote as well. I am so excited to see that the precons will be tied thematically to set releases. That's a dynamic that I've always mm-hmm. wanted to see. But even then, it's getting. Uh, like my, my attention for the commander legends has been absolutely captivated i'm very very excited to see what they can do what they will do how it will uh shape things it definitely sounds crazy and when you say that there's a set that has 70 legendary cards in it and dominaria had 44 legendary cards some of which were like legendary sorceries like those can't even be your commander like that's very very exciting that sets an incredible precedent i'm definitely looking forward most of that so three out of three on commander legends we are very excited for next year very excited for future command fests this has been a wild past week to see all of the stuff that's been going on so to try and ground ourselves a little bit after all of that lofty talk let's bring it back to our roots and end the show with a classic segment challenging the stats there's a lot of data here on EDH Rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are being underplayed. Sometimes we think that cards are being overplayed. So we like to challenge that data here. Let's get to it. Matt, what is your challenge this week? This week, I have a challenge of stats special for Wasatora Nakoru Queen decks, actually. So there's only 219 out there in the wild, but I played against one of them this past weekend, and uh, it certainly did some damage to me. So that triggered ability, so whenever Wasatora deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If the player can't, you create a 3-3 black, red, and green cat dragon creature token with flying. So one ability that they were using quite a bit was Fire Shrieker. Give it double strike, get two of those abilities. But one that really blew me away was Strionic Resonator in the deck. Uh, Strionic Resonator is only being played in 14% of Wasatora decks and Stronic Resonator. How it reads is it's an artifact for two mana. You can pay two mana and tap it to copy target triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. So Wasatora gets the triggered ability. You use Stronic Resonator to copy it. And if you look through the average deck on EDH rec, there's a lot of just other triggered abilities you want to be copying. There's all the legendary dragons from Kamigawa block, for example. There's all sorts of different things. There's legendary dragons from... Dragons of Tarkir, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank here all of a sudden. But yeah, there's a good deal of, of triggered abilities that you want to be getting more copies of. If you're playing Fire Shrieker to get double strike and then get two triggers just from Fire Shrieker, Strionic Resonators, it's a little more versatile. It is mana intensive, I I know. But I think it should be in a little more than 14% of Wasatora decks at least. Pretty versatile cards, those artifacts, aren't they? They are. It's almost like they go in any deck. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nasty stuff that you can do. I know that uh, your other co-host, Max, on CMDR Central, he uses that uh, those uh, Stryonic Resonator things very much in that Brago deck, too. Lots he, of combat triggers to duplicate there as well. He is a fan, for sure. <laughs> can do a lot of work. All right, I like it. Dana, what's your challenge? My choice is a card from Legends that's only in 612 decks, but it has been reprinted and it is relatively inexpensive, it's the Black Fog Variant Darkness. Ah, yeah. It's it's fog and one mana, instant speed, in black. It's an absolute beating whenever I've seen it cast because nobody is ready for it in black. And it happened again this weekend at Command Fest Chicago where someone was going for a lethal swing on a black deck. I think it was against a Toshiro Umazawa deck. And it was lethal on board and boom, darkness out of nowhere. That's then recurrable in that particular deck. No oh, one's ready no. for it. And 
the fact that Fog in green that has access to cards that are a little bit better than the actual original Fog is in 2,000 decks and Darkness is in only 600, there's way more black decks that should be using Darkness. It's a fantastic but- card and it's one no one's ready for so obscure and you know in a black deck like you know to be prepared for the potential for a sudden spoiling if they have three mana up but if they've only got one mana you're like oh what's the worst that could happen they could play this one innocent little card that you didn't even know existed that's what they could do i mean is is, i think fog effects are probably underplayed in commander in general and the ability to do it in black so so good so, so good. My challenge is also going to be from a card that I saw this weekend, but also from a listener who contacted us on Twitter to let us know, tragically, the card Repercussion is only showing up in 32% of Torbran Thane of Redfell decks. So, ALK Spookums at Alters ALK, thank you so much for uh, getting in touch with uh, us for this particular challenge because I am so excited to talk about it too. Repercussion is a ridiculous three-minute enchantment in red that says when a creature's dealt damage it deals that much damage to its controller as well and this is something that i saw in sheldon menory's deck that you did this to yourself deck he played that and i realized every time i play a creature i am making my own biggest liability because if he plays a blasphemous act i die immediately which made it very scary to do anything which is exactly where he wanted me to be really good card and especially in torbran Two increased damage to each of the creatures will happen, but then repercussion will turn that two damage, convert it into damage to the player, which becomes two more damage. So every damage becomes four extra damage against a player. That's even more deadly there. Definitely shocking that it would see that little play in that particular deck. It was really, really dangerous when I saw it this weekend, and it would be even more dangerous in Torbran. Super on board with that challenge. Really scary stuff that you can do in mono red these days. Yep, yeah. I 100% agree that that card. I used to have a couple, and I don't know what I did with them, so maybe I just won't build a Torbrun deck. <laughs> if you do, just consider some repercussions. Man, this was an absolutely wild ride of a week. The Command Fest was an absolute success, resounding success for me, and... On the cast, we had to pick and choose only a few stories. So the other folks that I played against, I wrote down some names here. Kale, Cody, T, Joe, Wes, Noah, Sam, Seth, Owen, Logan, Yanni, everyone else that I forgot to name. This was a tremendous experience. Thank you all for coming to say hi, getting in some epic games. It was really, really wonderful. And if you have any experiences at the Command Fest, we'd love to know about them. Please hit us up on social media. Let us know your thoughts about the Command Fests, things that you'd like to see going forward, and your thoughts on the upcoming Commander products. And let us know which product you are the most excited for as well on that note i think we got to call this episode to a close i'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me and if our listeners would like to get in touch with us where can they find you all matt find me on the twitters at mathemus 55 m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and dana you can find me on the twitter birds at dana roach and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast cmdr central And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published 
produced every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. My poor puppy, he has no idea why why he goes in the bedroom whenever I'm recording. Like, I open up the door, and he's just got this face like, Why, Dad? Why'd you do it? And it's like, well, it's because your nails are the loudest thing in the universe on the hardwood floor. I don't Why know don't how else to tell you this. Me? I do love you. You're just very noisy in the most adorable way. And there it is. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.